Has it been a good day already? It's been a good day. Been a good day. I want to tell you just a couple of things. At the end of our service, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And if you miss the baskets on the way in, uh, we have some ushers coming down the aisle. Just kind of wave at them. They'll make sure you get a cup uh, for uh, the Lord's Supper. There, they'll come all the way to the front and, and get you taken care of. Um, a couple things on on the baptisms uh, today. I mentioned we have nine that are being baptized. Five of those are in our children's ministry. And another two of those are now in student ministry, but they came through our children's ministry. So, if you're wondering why we're doing the renovation, this is why we're doing the renovation. So that more boys and girls would come to know Christ. So that more boys and girls would have a place where they are loved by an adult and by teachers and leaders. And they're taught who Jesus is and what he wants for their Life, And we just feel like we can do that better. We can accommodate more kids. We can better minister to families uh, once we have finished our renovation. I have a couple of pictures here uh, of, of where things are. It's not really in a condition as far as the renovation itself. It's not really in a condition where you can walk in there. There's kind of a trench still in there once we get that cleaned up. We'll do some tours. I think I have some pictures. Do I have some pictures? I'm wondering if I have some pictures. One day I'll have some, see me afterwards, I got some pictures, and, uh, but uh, HVAC is going up, plumbing is, is in, we just got to cover that back up, and uh, walls are starting to go up, and that's just going to accelerate as we keep going, and I'm so thankful for you and your faithfulness, families who bring their kids here, uh, we had a wonderful fall festival outside yesterday, saw lots of, not just of, uh, of our people, but lots of community people who came out and were a part of that yesterday, it was so good uh, to see some new people on our campus um, thankful for those of you who give. We, we are, again, our Christmas offering this year as we move towards the end of the year. Our Christmas offering is all going towards our renovation. Our goal is to pay cash, not have to borrow any money uh, for this project. We're still lacking 150000 or so to be able to get to that goal. Uh, we've got about three, three fifty, something like that, that we can give towards it. But we've got a little gap, and so we're just praying through our Christmas offering uh, you would pray uh, how God wants you to be a part of that and a, a part of our, uh, of our growth. So very exciting times. Um, we're in a series called Back to the Start. And, and we, we talked about early on, uh, we said uh, there is a God. That, that, that's, that's the beginning of our faith. There is a God. And, and there are good reasons to believe there is a God. There is good evidence. Um, may, maybe we wouldn't say conclusive, 100% absolute evidence. But there is, there is sufficient evidence to believe that we didn't just get here by accident. That, that all that is, all of the universe didn't just happen from nothing. Uh, it didn't come from nothing. But there was a being. A, a God who is eternal, who started everything. And, and then we said, if there is a God, and, and we believe there is, since there is a God, then our next step should be to try to get to know him. We, we should uh, want to know what he's like. And if he created everything that is, if he's that powerful, then we should trust him. We should put our faith in that God. We should believe in 
that God. It doesn't mean that we understand everything about that God. It doesn't even mean we understand everything about our own lives and our own experiences. But because God is big enough to create everything that is from nothing that was, then we can trust Him with all of those things that we don't understand. If you've been here, you know we've kind of been comparing this to a corn maze. At the start, you're very clear about the path. You're on the right path, and then when you get in there, it gets a little confusing and disorienting. And we said our spiritual lives can be that way. So sometimes we just have to back up to the start and say, this is what I knew to be true at the beginning, and I'm going to hang on to that. As we're laying a foundation uh, of what God is like and who God is, one of the next things that, that's important in getting to know him is trying to figure out, well, what is, what is he doing? What is his plan? Um, what is he working on? What, what is his intent for us? And some of us struggle with that. I would say all of us struggle with that at times in our lives because we come we come to points in our life where we wonder, God, what are you doing? God, why aren't you doing something? God, how is this a part of your plan? We have that tension between what we see and what we experience and what we believe God to be, and that leads us to ask the question, God, what are you doing? Uh, and while some of our questions will always remain unanswered, there, there is a point at which we're not going to figure everything out. That doesn't mean we can't figure some things out. There are some things that are knowable, we said last week, that we can understand. And while we can't figure uh, everything out, there, there's, there's some perspectives on why the world is the way that it is that can be helpful as we explore our faith. The world as it is is a world that is broken, uh, is a world that is operating not as it was intended, not in its perfect form, and not as it one day will be. The, the, the world we're currently experiencing is what the Bible sometimes called cursed, which is a strong, strong word, right? The, the world is cursed because of sin, brokenness entered into the world because of sin, and that causes the world not to work correctly all the time. We're kind of in a middle stage right now. This is what Christianity teaches. We're in a middle stage between the perfect world that God started and created and launched in Genesis when he put the first humans there, that perfect world, and a redeemed, restored, perfect world that is going to be one day. We're in between those two worlds. Those two perfect, beautiful, wonderful places. So how did we get here? Why is there a middle? Well, why, don't, why didn't we just have perfect all the time? Wonderful question. God, who is holy and perfect and sinless, decided for, for a lot of reasons we don't fully know, but he decided to create a universe, to create a world and to, to populate that universe with, with stars and planets and moons and suns. And then on one particular planet, God decided to make this one planet habitable by 
human life. Now, there may be other planets. If you missed our talk on aliens back in the summer, go back and listen to it, all right? As far as we know, as far as we know, there's one planet that is habitable, maybe others, right, Brand? Maybe others where we discover other things. I know you're here. Maybe others where we discover, okay, that's, that was, that, we did that message. Right now, we know there's one where God decided this is going to be the planet that I'm going to build out. And so on this planet, he put vegetation and he, 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 he made oceans and, and, and mountains and, and he put life on this planet, human life, human life. And the Bible says he made that human life in his image. God's creation would bear his image. Humans would bear the image of God, not in a perfect way, not in a complete way, in the way that, that God bears his image, but we would reflect the image of God in our being. So God, he creates the universe. He creates this planet that will be inhabited by humans and, and it's full of beauty and it's full of life and it's full of provision. Everything that humans could need on this planet was provided on this planet except for one thing, a relationship with their creator. See, this is, this is part of the creation is that God would create a world and he would actually have a relationship with his creation. He's not a God who created something and then went away. That's called deism. Deism is, yes, there's a God out there somewhere, but he really doesn't have anything to do with us. He made us, and he went on vacation. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible created us, created the earth, created the world, and then God initiated a relationship with his creation. In Genesis, in the early chapters of Genesis, God talks with humans. We're given this picture of God walking in the cool of the day with the humans that he created. There was this relationship, this closeness that humans could not have established with God. God had to establish with humans. He chose to be in relationship with his creation until humans decided that they didn't want to live by God's rules. They didn't want to live by God's standards. They wanted to make their own decisions. They wanted to live their own life. They wanted to have their own rules, or perhaps they wanted to have no rules at all. This is what the Bible calls sin. Anything, anything that is disobedient to what God wants, whether it's thoughts or actions or motives, in anything that is disobedient to God, the Bible describes as sin, and this sin in humans broke our relationship with God because he's holy, he's perfect, he's sinless, and as a result, can't be in perfect relationship where there is sin. So this harmony that was established in Genesis between creator and creation was disrupted. It was broken. It was destroyed. And yet, in the story of our faith, God doesn't abandon his broken creation. God doesn't walk away from what fell apart from our perspective. Maybe you've had a project at home and you got to working on it and you 
messed it up and you thought somebody else needs to deal with this not me this was not God's approach to his creation where where the harmony had been disrupted where the relationship had been broken God made a way for it to be restored but here's the question before we get to the restoration the question that we sometimes have as we look at life is why did God create a universe and humans with this potential for wrong and hurt and evil? At some point, I think every Christian wrestles with this. Why did God create a universe knowing that it was going to go bad? Because he's God. This did not surprise him. He is sovereign. He's all-knowing before he created the first star, before he created the first humans, God knew this was going to go badly. People would treat each other in terrible ways. They would mistreat one another, sometimes to great extents. There would be wars. There, there would be conflict. God knows this. And yet he creates a world where all of that is possible. It's sometimes referred to as the problem of pain or the problem of evil. What do we do with this concept as Christians? Because we see the world existing as it is, and we want to know why would God do this? Now, the problem of pain... The problem of evil has been discussed and debated for a long, long time, and we're not going to cover all of the details today, and we're not going to solve all of the problem today. But I, I do want to give us a perspective on it. I, I want to give us kind of a, a big lens on how we got here. And, and if I could say it in a general sense, it would be this. The price of creating humans with the ability to freely choose is the potential that they will choose poorly. That's the price. The price for creating humans, a universe where humans live, and those humans have the ability to make real autonomous choices, free choices. The price for that is to acknowledge they could choose badly, and they often will choose badly. You see, you and I want to believe that our choices matter. You want to believe that. You want to believe that you are not controlled, that you are not a robot, you are not a computer with data that has been entered and you're just living out the ones and zeros that have been pre-programmed into your brain. You want to believe that you make decisions day in and day out and they are your own decisions. Nobody forces those on you. You want to believe that love is real. When someone says they love you, you want to believe they are making a choice. It is, it is their will that they are exercising. When you stand in front of a minister on your wedding day and you say, I do, I will, I choose you, you want to believe they're actually choosing you. Out of all of the people in the world, all of the people that they could have married, they love you to an extent that they have chosen to spend the rest of their life with you. We want to believe that matters. When our wives ask us, why do you love me? If you say, didn't have a choice. 
the rest of the day is not going well for you. <laughs> you know, just living out the programming that, I, that is in my mind. We don't really have free children. We, really, we, we aren't really free. This is what I was made to do. God is making me love you. That's not romantic at all, is it? And there's, there's nothing beautiful about that at all. We want to believe that we make real choices and decisions in life, including the, the choice to love someone, to spend our life with someone. We don't want to believe all of those are manufactured. So, on the one hand, we want to believe that we are all autonomous beings, that we choose, that we have a measure of freedom or complete freedom. As a matter of fact, you get very offended if you think somebody's manipulating you, don't you? trying to control you ever had a boss try to control you how, how did that make you feel uh, if, if we think an organization trying to control if we think the government is trying to control us mm, we don't like we don't want to be controlled no, I want to make my decision don't you can't make me yeah that's all of us all of us feel this way we want freedom. We want to be able to choose. We don't want to be manipulated. We don't want to be programmed. That, that's why movies like The Truman Show Register, which I'm dating myself because The Truman Show is a long time ago, I realize. But hey, all of you middle-agers, you watch The Truman, Truman Show. Jim Carrey. So Jim Carrey's in this simulation, and, and it's basically a TV show, and they're controlling everything about him. Why did we get so excited at the end when he broke out of that when, when he found some self-determination and kind of fought back against the master programmers why because it's in us we want to make our own decisions we we want to make our own choices we want to be free the problem is the only way to give us the freedom of choice is to also give us the freedom to make very bad decisions with that choice to do very terrible things because we live in a universe where we have been given some autonomy. When we say, how could God allow that? How could God allow that person to do that? What we're saying is, God, I wish you would have created a universe where we were free to do all of the good things and none of the bad things which is not freedom, right? Not freedom. Might be nice. It wouldn't really be freedom if God set a limit somewhere on the creation that he made. And you may look at this dilemma, and it is a dilemma. You may look at this dilemma and say, it's not worth it. Not worth it. All of the abuse that we see, uh, all of the murders that we see, the wars, there was the Holocaust, not worth it. The wars that we're seeing right now, not worth it. Not worth it. But I don't think you mean that for yourself. Right? Not worth it for all of them because they make really bad decisions. God should have put some controls, but God offers this opportunity for you and I to, to be real. To be real. Here's the thing. God thought our real, authentic, free existence was worth the price. And you may disagree. 
But God thought you coming to being, you having a mind to be able to think, to be able to choose, to be able to love and be loved, somehow God thought your existence as you are right now was worth the price of all of the negative side of giving us autonomy. He, he thought you were worth it. The person that you are right now, God thought you were worth creating this universe and putting you in it and trusting you. Some of us look at the world, and especially with the, the bigger conflicts, the the, the, the bigger tragedies, and we think, well, I don't do that. And I think God should stop that. I don't do that. Like, what I do, my disobedience is like down here. But Romans tells us, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This brokenness is in all of our hearts. For all of us have broken relationship with God. We have a nature that pulls us away from God. It exhibits itself in different ways, but all of us, Paul said, all of us have broken relationship with God. All of us have disobeyed out of this sin nature. We have walked away from God. We have chosen our own way. All of us have sinned, and the interesting thing about the Bible is the Bible doesn't rank any of those sins. There, there aren't 10-point sins and 5-point sins and 100-point sins. There's not a scale. There is, I obey God or I don't obey God. Now, there, there are consequences that are perhaps greater and smaller for us in this life, for our relationships. There certainly are some sins that have greater consequences in this life. But as far as our relationship to a holy God, every sin of thought, of action, of inaction. Every sin has broken our relationship with God. And yet God, knowing this would be the cost, this would be the price, He was willing to bring us into existence. And not just bring us into existence. God was also willing to provide the remedy for the brokenness that He knew was going to happen. Like before he started this whole thing, he knew we would mess it up. We would break faith with him, with him. We would sin against him. That sin would have massive ramifications all around the universe, not just in my life, but in nature, with disease. All the brokenness that we experience comes out of a world that isn't working according to the harmony God created in. It is misaligned from the perfection that God made it in, and it has all of these ripples of consequences. But God said, I I'm going to provide a solution to that. In Genesis, when, the, when sin first happens, God announces consequences, kind of a representative list. It's not a lot of detail in Genesis chapter 3, but God says, look, these things are going to get harder. This is going to be bad. Bad things are going to begin to happen. Again, he doesn't itemize every bad thing that's ever going to happen. He just says, sin has consequences out into the world and into your relationships. But he also declared, right at the moment of the very first sin, he also declared, I'm going to defeat this evil. 
He says to evil. He says to the enemy. Someone is coming, Jesus. Someone is coming who is going to crush the head of evil. God's plan was already in motion throughout all of the Old Testament. Priest came, went before God for the people. Prophets came, spoke to the people on behalf of God. Kings ruled over people. Priests made sacrifices day after day, year after year for sins. Blood was shed for our sins. This was, this was not changing our sin. This was not forgiving our sin. This was God showing a picture of what was ultimately to come when Jesus, the final prophet, the final priest, the final king, came from heaven and sacrificed himself for our sin once and for all. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. All of, the, all of the sin and the brokenness that the people in the world ever committed, God placed on his son Jesus. God put on his son as Jesus went to the cross and became our ultimate final sacrifice. There is heartache in this world. There is pain in this world. And God has provided a remedy. God has provided a way out. 2 Corinthians 5.21 doesn't just say that Jesus became sin for us. It tells us that when we put our faith in Christ, we receive the righteousness of Christ. Our sin is forgiven forever. We are seen through the lens of Jesus and his righteousness. So as our sin was transferred to Jesus on the cross, his holiness and righteousness and perfection was transferred to us forever and ever so that when God looked at us, he doesn't see all of the mistakes you've ever made. By, by trusting Jesus, God doesn't see all of the times that you messed things up. He sees the righteousness of Jesus. We saw a picture this morning. Baptism is this picture of an old life going away and a new life coming to be. Sin going away and righteousness taking its place. Not because of me, not because I can do something to gain righteousness, not because I can do enough works, not because I can even be perfect after this moment, but because Jesus has given me his righteousness freely. Jesus has given me his holiness and his perfection. And in my humanity, I'm still not perfect, but God sees me as his son, righteous and holy. And not only is God determined to fix each individual person who will come to Christ by faith, not only is God determined to give righteousness to every person who confesses their sin, God is determined to restore and redeem all of his creation. Now, that's, that's the beauty of the message of the gospel is that God, since the garden, has been in this work of ultimately redeeming and restoring all that is broken, and one day all that is wrong will be made right. Tragedies will be wiped away. Disasters will be wiped away. And in its place, newness and wholeness and perfection a redeemed universe even. God is reversing the curse and bringing back 
the promise. The herd that you see today, this makes it no less painful. It, it, it doesn't answer all of the questions. We, we, we have tension when we turn on the news. But the message of the gospel is the brokenness that we see spills out of the sin of our world and it will ultimately be wiped away. And all that is wrong will be made right again. I'm looking forward to that day. You ever get tired looking at our world? You ever get weary hearing day after day the way humanity treats itself, each other? We have this hope that God is right now in the midst of the chaos bringing more and more people into his kingdom like we saw this morning. He's bringing more and more people. He is patiently waiting for more and more people to come into his kingdom. And then he's going to make all things right. It doesn't mean we understand everything perfectly. A personal note and... Um, if you attend, most of you attend regularly, I don't try to tweak your emotions or manipulate you because we don't like to be manipulated, right? Um, <clears throat> today, I am the exact age my dad was when he died. Almost to the minute, my dad took his last breath. When he was the age I am today, I don't know why I have been tracking that. <laughs> Some mental illness, I think. <laughs> it's just been out there for a couple months, a few years. I'm ready for all of that to be undone. <laughs> I'm ready for abuse to be undone, war to be undone and loss and tragedy and hopelessness to be undone by the God who gives us hope. That's what he's doing. We wrestle in the chaos and we wrestle in the pain. But our God is good. And he invites us into relationship with him. Forever and forever. Right, right after the verse I read about our sin going to Jesus and Jesus' righteousness coming to us, it's, there's a chapter break, but the thought continues. Paul says in chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians verses 1 and 2, as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. He had just said in Christ all of our sin goes to him as he dies and all of his righteousness comes to us. And then he says, don't hear this message in vain. Don't hear this and walk away. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. I don't, don't hear this message of redemption and restoration and just walk away. Maybe you've done that before. Don't, don't hear it and just walk away. Receive it if you haven't. Confess your sin. Receive Christ into your heart. Be baptized.
Start your life with Christ. As we celebrated baptism, let's celebrate the Lord's Supper together. For it is that other great symbol, along with baptism, that reminds us in the chaos, in the hurt, in the pain, in the struggle, there is a Savior, there is hope, There is one who died for us, who gives us his righteousness when we trust in him. On that night, Jesus met with his disciples. I mean, it was the night. The night before all that had come, all of the brokenness, the answer was going to happen that way. And they didn't understand it. But Jesus took bread and and blessed it and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And afterwards he took the cup. after he blessed it he said this is my blood this is my blood poured out for you and he it wasn't just going to die a normal death this was the death that would make a way for salvation for every person way back in the garden way back in the beginning of Genesis when everything went wrong this was the thing that was going to set it right this was the moment evil would be crushed because of our great King. Do this in remembrance of Him. God, our hearts long for this world to be made right. We know that you delay out of your wisdom, you delay out of your patience, that more would come to Christ, that more would come to faith, that more would find this restoration of their souls. And so we wait patiently with you. And in our waiting, we rejoice that there is a Savior, there is a healer, there is a hope giver. And his name is Jesus. And if anyone here has not responded to him, not given their life to him, let it be today. Help them to come. Give their life to Christ today. I pray it in his name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.